Fine Arabian horses When she comes If she comes And she comes That was Fats Waller. Um, she'll be coming around the mountain. And this has been DJ Lamb Chop on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. It is time for Living Writers here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. So here's an excellent new special today of Living Writers for you. Good afternoon. You've got Living Raiders on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Uh, welcome back from summer. Thank you to Amanda Yuli and Frank Yuli for Summer Living Writers. Um, they were brilliant, as always. Um, I love the summer fun um, that Amanda and Frank and the the super uh, searching and uh, illuminating conversations that they bring um, to us over the summer. So first of all, big thanks to Amanda Yuli and Frank Yuli. Um, and now... Uh, it's so great to have Khaled Matawa here in the studio <laughs> to kick off our fall semester, first show of our season. Yes, <laughs> thank you. It's fall. great to be back. <laughs> it's Thanks. great. It's yeah. great to have yeah. you back. And um, Khaled was like, yeah, "Don't worry, I know. I know my way to the station. Yeah. I know, no, no problem <laughs> there." Uh, we've got Gina Brandolino, engineering mm. behind the glass there, um, making us sound good. Um, and we want to give a shout out, um, lots of hellos and love to Steph and baby Lyndon, uh, who I think are doing some drive time radio listening right now. And thanks to all you for listening. Hey, maybe even my mom is listening. Welcome back, everyone, whoever you are. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, and we're looking forward to, yeah, another great fall of Living Writers. Khaled, we've got a book on the table here. And before yes. we go any further, I, I would repeat, be remiss if I didn't read the bio in the beginning and we'll go from from there yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> Khaled Matawa currently teaches in the graduate creative writing program at the University of Michigan he is the author of four books of poetry and a critical study of the Palestinian poet Mamau Darwish Matawa has co-edited two anthologies of Arab American literature and translated many volumes of contemporary Arabic poetry. His awards include the Academy of American Poets Fellowship Prize, the Penn Award for Poetry and Translation, and a MacArthur Fellowship. Khaled, thanks for being uh, a, a friend of the to show. Be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and and today we have um, we have a chapbook, yes, uh, a, a, a quarter note chapbook series, number sixteen, volume edition from Saraband Books, um, Khaled's book, Mari Nostrum. Yes. Can we start by talking about the title a little bit? 
in old uh, maps, and I'm not sure until when, uh, you could see on the Mediterranean uh, something called Mare Nostrum, which means our sea. And that's what the, that's the word is in Latin. And that's what the Romans called the Mediterranean mm-hmm. as our sea. Uh, so this and, feeling of conquest yeah, exactly. within it, yeah, and it's uh, and it you know it's uh, it's clearly an implication, and it continued to, to stay uh, as a viable uh, term, um, uh, and then in uh, 2013, the Italian Navy, which was trying to put a stop to the migrants uh, crossing from the southern Mediterranean to uh, north to Italy and elsewhere, they they started an operation called Mari Nostrum, which is meant to put an end to migration, uh, which is... I don't know why they chose that term for uh, something, uh, why they associated, you know, uh, putting an end to migration with conquest, but perhaps the the same sort of sense of entitlement and protection. So... uh, I had been and, writing entitlement yeah, yeah. and and then protection for for whom right yeah, for, who for, is for, being exactly, protected for you know for themselves apparently yeah. that's what they think and uh, uh, and from the migrants who were uh, had come a very long way and a very difficult journey to 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 find a, you know to come to safety to find refuge and to. Um, to uh, restart their lives, uh, so you know. So it was a. It, it, I, I think the operation did end up ending after a few years, but you know, the Italian government is, has set up uh, new regulations that are even worse than than before, and had sort of putting up a, a much greater hindrances against. Uh, migrants coming and against boats that are picking up migrants from the sea and uh, so the process of the anti-immigrant uh, uh, policy which we see in the United States is also uh, had been picked up by the Italian uh, government of late. So for me the the title to take the word and call it Mari Nostrum as uh, as a way of making it our sea not just the Latins or the Italian governments, but uh, our sea as it's all of, uh, it's the sea that belongs to all of us, and many of the voices are voices of of migrants, so it is their sea, and it's their side of the story. So that's, it's a reappropriation, it's, a, it's an old post-colonial trick. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like that's, that is a, it's a response, but also a renaming of of the sea and what happens in it. You have to claim the name again yeah, yeah, and yeah. to actually force mm. a questioning of yeah. like whose sea is it? Yeah, who's, who's, uh, you know, who's Nostrum? No, us. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's yes. what us means. No, yeah, Nostrum, yeah. Well, and after reading this book, because of the multiple perspectives <laughs> too that you mentioned, yeah. it, it made me start to question again, mm. like mm. who is, uh, who is the R? Like who are we and mm. who is the you? Yeah. Um, imagining like uh, with a voice, if one of the voices from a refugee, yeah, yeah. Um, having this realization that um, that the the refugee, I think, mm. uh, is recognizing that they're the refugee, yes. but then the reader somehow mm-hmm. then is invited to mm. think about well, what are you also? Um, what would 
what would it be like to feel that way to suddenly have this recognition that mm-hmm. I am the outsider? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, that. I think the poem you're talking about is is a sh- very short poem uh, from a refugee camp in Greece. Um, it's called the Moria Refugee Camp Journal. And in it, I mean, the people who end yes. up being refugees are ordinary people. Uh, and uh, you know, like, when they do end up being like this, some of them say, well, I, I didn't think I'd be like one of those yes. people on the, that are, you know, uh, scattered about and are refugees and sort of like a stereotypical thing that I used to see on television. It's me now. So that's what that... Uh, that's what that realization. Would you like to read that? Yeah, this one is one, it's, a, it's a, sort of a very difficult poem to read because it's a word by word poem, but uh, but it's also you <laughs> we'll know, throw the monkey wrench in yeah, early then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, this is called the Moria Refugee Camp Journal. About you, a grave yard on this much that 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 you live in. The this much you live on. The all about you, a grave, a yard or two. The not much, the yes, you are one too. Thank you. You're welcome. So and having that, when you said it was a difficult one to read, having those that feeling and the openness or disconnectedness of, mm. of parts of it, we see... Um, the poem on the page grouped in um, uh, triplet, like mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, but still this disconnection and the openness. I yeah. feel like that's what helps mm-hmm. the reader to uh, sort of enter into it. Then, yeah. yeah well, I mean, I, I think it's it's later in in the book, so as a slight challenging poem, slightly perhaps uh, that comes in later after you've been sucked into the the poem's themes. But uh, it's not really a sentence. It you know doesn't follow like a, it doesn't fulfill the promises of a sentence. It uh, interrupts and it restates the the words a grave and yard and graveyard and the word yard becomes you don't have a graveyard. You have only one yard. You have a small space. And so uh, that's the, the transition. It's almost like the words are changing meaning as your life is transformed into a refugee. As The words don't mean what they used to mean. Uh, and uh, the realization that, you know, you have to make do with so little that everything is prescribed. Your food is prescribed. Your place, your movement, your, your you know, and so... Um, you know, all of a sudden you're in it. You didn't realize, thought you were going somewhere else, but no, you're in this uh, uh, permanent temporariness of being a refugee, where you're just like always waiting for the next stop, and it, you know, may happen, it may not happen. So that's the, that, and that's why it kind of undercuts itself a little bit because that's the thought process, an unsettled and unsettling thought process. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think that, and it makes the reader hopefully feel that unsettled feeling. Yeah, and, and as an experience absolutely. of reading. Yeah, yeah, no, no. The the, the poem, the poems in this group, uh, uh, you know, they count on the reader, you know, knowing a little bit, but also engaging with the, with the stories. And this is, um, uh, you know, in some ways, this is what what you might call a. A sort of a documentary book of poems in some ways, but I I didn't really want to do the the sort of uh, documentary 
thing of archives and uh, you know cutting and, and you know erasures even though there is an erasure here uh, I didn't want it to sort of have it feel I wanted really to do lyric I wanted the lyric to be the the the, the way of, of documenting uh, and I the th- art is delivering it exactly I think there is a there is a way in which uh, in people to, to, to sort of grasp the authenticity of migrants or uh, people working with um, who are uh, in hard situations in difficult situations it's almost uh, like the attempt was well let's not make it too uh, artsy or not too artistic let's you know in order to tell the truth let's you know let the voices speak normally let's take out the art and make the the speech more sort of normal in order to document and the, the you know the art of documentation went that way for me i felt like uh no i need to emphasize that this is uh that these voices can be eloquent and that uh and that uh that they should be they should have a quality of um that resonates lyrically rather than something that's uh, all in the margins of art. So the, there's mm. a heightened artifice about the poems here. They're all in tercets, as you noted. All of them are in three lines. So it, it, just, it just tells you that this is structured deliberately in that manner, and it's going to do the art but also do the, the documenting and, and the argument and the, and the advocacy, if you will. Yeah, and in doing so, mm. creating that experience. Yeah, that's the that hope. Then too. there's space for yeah. the reader to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, when did you know you were mm. writing this group of poems, Maria Nostrum? I began um, around 2014. Fifth, oh, 2014. I began to learn more about, you know, when you learn about the boats sinking and another group of people, hundreds sometimes. There was one incident I think I mentioned here in 2013 where they, you know, they, there was a, a boat that, that was filled with refugees there and it caught on fire and there was this fire uh, in the sea. And that's outside. the erasure. I think that's the poem called Fuel. That's, maybe, or... No, that's uh, that's a different incident. Oh, have, oh okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was you know so you raised the profile of the of the situation, but there is uh, so I began to and 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 also knowing that this was these boats were taking off from Libya, which is my home country and where I had gone. Uh, 2012 to 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 start an arts organization there with Reem, my wife, and so on. So to to see that this place that you were hoping to build and rebuild was the place where a lot of human trafficking was going on was uh, was heartbreaking. So I felt it's out of responsibility and in many ways because it was coming out of Libya because it was just a tragedy and because. Uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, part of a human story that 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 was. Uh, it, it didn't seem to have many voices with it. It just seemed to have pictures and images, but not many voices and many stories. And so, but the stories are out there. Just how do you how do you tell them in a particular way? That was the challenge. And Mari Nostrom is mm. is one way that these stories are coming into the world now. I hope so, yeah. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk more, and we'll hear more poems from Mari Nostrom. Today on the program, Khaled Matawa is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Gina Brandolino behind the glass. 
We'll be back. back. You've got living writers. Khaled Matawa is here in the studio today. I'm T. Hetzel, and we've got Gina Brandolino behind the glass, the book on the table with us from the Saraband Books quarter note chapbook series number 16, um, Mari Nostrum. Khaled, thanks for choosing the songs sure, for yeah. today's Absolutely. program. Yeah, I hope people enjoy them. Tell us a bit about the one we just heard. The one you just heard is really a song from uh, from my childhood, if you will, or where is by Libyan uh, singer named Ahmed Fakoum, who is still around, still rocking, if you will. Uh, Ahmed Fakoum was one of the first Arab. Uh, singers and songwriters to do this sort of the rock sound uh, that you hear, sort of a kind of a reggae, uh, you know, contemporary rock uh, pop sound, doing it with Arabic. And uh, he was, uh, he's sort of like a musician's musician, um, people who were, you know, people stole his ideas eventually and, uh, you know, later on thanked him with a pat on the oh, back or whatever. But he was really a pioneer and he came from Benghazi. Which, and oh. I, I remember being at a friend's house and seeing him, uh, you know, just sort of uh, jam with uh, with others. So he was, you know, uh, a childhood hero. You mean it, it just in, like, in the neighborhood? He was, like, on a stage or in near a... near my cousin's house and the, 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 the neighbor's older kids, you know, older kids. Yeah. They, they don't mess around with them. <laughs> but he had come by and they invited him to, to teach them. He was very open about electric guitar and drums and that kind of... It was, it was actually in a garage. So if it you was can a mention, garage, <laughs> right? <yeah. laughs> it was a garage in band in Benghazi. Yeah, that was the <laughs> 1970s. So that's almost... Uh, more than, uh, you know, 45 years ago. So he was there, and the songs were, you know, getting around in cassettes. He was, a, uh. people knew the name, but not so much the music. And um, 
uh, and also, the, the, of course, there are two things happening against him. One is that uh, Gaddafi was a, a sort of a nationalist. He didn't want Western influences. That's one thing. The other is that um, uh, Fakun never, you know, sang a pro-regime song. I mean, that's if you if you did that. Whatever way you sang, you 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 got your uh, the government would have funded your your uh, mu- you know your music and so on. So if you didn't do that, then you're on your own. So he was. Um, but he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do, do that. that. So wouldn't. in the 70s, he still produced, and in the 80s, he was just sort of uh, you know all around the Mediterranean. And he was somewhat. He gained some fame like in the mid 80s, early mid 80s. Uh, he was really out there as far as uh, Mediterranean rock, if you will. Uh, uh, so he's a, he's a pioneer. And then people came with much more funding and much greater publicity and became uh, the stars. So um, the thing about this particular song, I think of it too as a as a kind of a national anthem. It's a it's like you know it's a, it's a very particular. Uh, it's, it's not an anthem. It's like a bobbing kind of you know, and it. Uh, but the songs are, uh, uh, my country, your love is my song. Nothing or anyone will ever will I ever love more or something like. But it's a. I mean, if, if anybody wanted a national song, they would take this one. It, completely. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's also it had this very personal, uh, at, you know, it comes from a personal voice and so on. But from so, the land and the exactly, people, yeah, not yeah. the regime or no, Gaddafi. No, no, no. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it still exists to me as this sort of alternative a national anthem, and it's still very popular. When the Gaddafi regime was collapsing, and uh, in the year after, the people, some of them, people heard it for the first time. Some of them, um, you know, it became it began to be looped, and so it exists now as this alternative, mm-hmm. uh, affectionate, uh, not macho national anthem. <laughs> yeah. and, and you knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the the seventies yeah, 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 before yeah. and maybe because of your age because you were a teenager yeah, yeah. then right and so yeah. um mm. and and then and you came to the U S mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy nine yes yeah I was fifteen then fifteen yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was I was ten when at that Garage Band event so I was not uh, <laughs> maybe eleven so he was way uh, you know a hundred you know. A hundred floors above me, as, uh, as well, Leonard Cohen says. But still, uh, very, very, very cool. You were. You oh know, yeah, no, it was a you great. You knew what privilege. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. could. So no, yeah. it was a great figure. I mean, I in in a way, it's. Uh, I wanted to have it here to just sort of. I always think of of bringing this music or the sound of where I I come from as as part of my story, because. Um, uh, you know, and I was there just a few months ago. Uh, you know, the, the boats are leaving not far away from Tripoli. Uh, there is a lot of bad news and so on, but um, but that's not the only association I have with with the country. And uh, what I think about when I think about Benghazi and Tripoli and the artists, and the, I always think that there are people always thinking of how much they want things to change and how much they're trying to live a very decent life within the the very difficult circumstances they're in and you can say that about the refugees you can say that about the the people who are waiting for their chance to a better life uh you know um 
the idea of uh, migrants or immigrants are are uh, these criminal gangs that are coming across or which is what the Italians are saying which is what uh, our government is saying now mm-hmm. is um It's really not uh, not uh, it's true. Not true. It's not true at all. And uh, in fact, people who do end up, you know, making these journeys, often they're they're ambitious. They they really so are keen about changing their lives. Yeah. And um, I remember one story in uh, in Suita and Melita. These are two Spanish cities. In North Africa, they're like enclaves within geographical Morocco, and a lot of uh, Africans are across from Western Africa, they, Algeria, and so on, and Morocco, and they tried to jump the fence into these two Spanish cities. Uh, what happens to them is, uh, if you do jump the fence and you become a refugee, they detain you in a refugee camp, and some of them are. Some of them are nice places, like a, like a, um, uh, you know, you know, you a room, you share a room with other people, you're fed, and so on. And I remember reading one of the refugees saying, "Well, oh, that's okay. We jumped the fence. Uh, we're here now. You, you, we, we get checked by the doctors. We're in good health, and and we're fed, and so on. So when 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 are you going to stop treating us like babies?" When are you going to give us work permits so that we can work and live our own lives? So the idea that these migrants want to come and siphon off the milk and honey of uh, Europe or America or that they want to live uh, lazy lives is not true at It's all. Not. They want to be independent. They want to work. They want to earn. They want to grow. Contribute. Exactly. It's, so it's in these, like, so it's almost like they were, they were almost like living in these uh, incubators. Like, Get us out of here. We're, you know, okay, I, I proved to you that I really want to be here. I went through a lot. Some of them jumped the fence two or three or four or five times. They break legs or arms or whatever. And uh, say, okay, okay, enough. Uh, I've, you know, I have, I've gained the pounds I lost. I have my, no vitamin deficiencies. Give me work permission. <laughs> Let me live, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah. I think that yeah. that's a very typical um You know, I think that's the typical attitude of most people. They want, and and they know that being fed and kept in a place, at however excellent the treatment might be, is no match for living your own life and having your independence and being dignified. So they leave the detention centers and become illegal. You know, they begin to, uh, you know, see if they can get work in people's houses and cleaning bathrooms. That for them is much more dignified than uh, being in a detention center where, you know, you're playing Uno or, or watching, you know, uh, soccer or whatever all day. So I think the... the Although don't the, knock the soccer. No, no, no. don't <laughs> knock the soccer. The, the issue is... Um, that uh, being a refugee and being displaced, and now we're hearing about people in the Bahamas who've become displaced within Bahamas. Days, yeah. yeah. within, and we can, you know, the storm had come in New Orleans before. Being a refugee and being out of your home and out of all of your daily uh, habits and existences and out of work can happen to vast millions of people. Oh, I would say anyone. Anybody, that some anybody, circumstances anybody. can and change. All, you know, some of us have solid situations, but the vast majority of people, even in America, can all of a sudden become refugees and who's there to help them 
uh, and and uh, that's a, that's a question. So it's it's just that it's, it's it's people from elsewhere. That's all. That's the only difference. Whose circumstances have become dire that way, uh, and um, the question becomes then: Is that why? Because anybody can be like this. So that's the that's the question that refugees pose: Is that you can be one too, right. and unless you're in denial. Uh, you better try to be helpful and kind. Amen to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How did your research start in this project? Was it because you saw boats leaving or what, what, yeah, when you were there, when you happened to be no, in I, Libya? No, I or? didn't. I remember uh, actually in my a, a book that came out in 2010 called Amorisco, I had a, I had visited, um, I think we talked about the that boat, here. Is yeah. it the boatmen's? Yeah. There, there's a uh, scene. It's all about being in a, about being near Tripoli and visiting that part of the world. But there is a scene in one of the in that sequence where there are people getting on a boat and they're heading, you know, north to to Italy. And uh, that was sort of some. Of, so I'd written about it, oh, but not yeah, not. not um, and with a sort of a philosophical, if you will, take on on uh, yeah, it what sounds, it means. It sounds much different for you now. Oh yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. emotional, yeah, no, it's sort of very different non-justice exactly. as well and, of and displacement. Much, the story is much more detailed. So, you know, I knew that these people left from Libya, but also where did they come from? And then you hear, okay, I knew that people. Used to okay, they're like maybe from Chad, Niger, but then they were coming from further and further afield. They were coming from Senegal. So, like, if you're coming from Senegal, crossing half of Africa to get to Niger and the town of Agadiz, and then going up north, and then staying in Libya, however, and then and then from Libya trying to get on a shoddy boat where you, you know, and that's, you know, just getting to Italy is you would think that that's like the arrival. I mean, it's, I couldn't really follow the story beyond Italy because, but I, I saw what, what, what happened there. But it's, it, it mean, because the reason that people were coming out of Senegal was, uh, or, or Gambia or, you know, or, uh, uh, or Liberia is because that part of the tra- the the the, uh, the the migration to Europe to Spain had been closed off. The Spanish had sent their police to Africa. Like Spain has Sevilla um, Guardia Civil in Mali. And in they are, they have offices there. They have the, their people at the checkpoints, with the national borders. Uh, and the first, first, at least in you know, first wave uh, that happened was Senegalese fishermen uh, trying to get to um, some of the Spanish islands in the Atlantic, uh, sort of facing Western Africa. Saying the Senegalese fishermen, they, they couldn't fish anymore. They would go deeper and deeper. The, the big fish trawlers oh. had sucked up the fish out of the Atlantic with permission from their government or whatever. There was just no fishing. These people would get on a fishing boat, get into six, seven, eight miles and fish. And, but years, as the years went on, they had to go further. They had, and then at some point, they said, well, we're going further. We might as well go to Tenerife or go to... A, right, and the, then... Be based there <laughs> exactly, or you know, live there, and of course that you know that's when. And then, well, of course, once you're in Spanish land, then you're. You, and if you're a refugee, then you're in. You're allowed to be in Spain, and then afterwards, all of Europe. So, but the the 
the the cause is not just bad circumstances in one country. The cause is the global economy, the environmental uh, damage that's caused uh, around the world, the fact that you know uh, anchovies or sardines or just they're, they're just you know you, we're taking them, the Japanese are taking them, or whoever is taking them. And the people in these were, you know, in that, in that part of the world that had lived on these for hundreds of years or thousands of years can have them. So, you know, the, the world economy came and stole their natural resources. Well, okay, they're going to go to the world economy. Maybe the world economy will give them a place now because if you, you know, if you, people can't feed in the land or by the sea that they've lived in uh, nearby, where are they where going to they, go? How can they live? Not, yeah. So yes, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll take we'll we'll leave everyone that with yeah. that for just a second. Okay, we'll take sure. a short break and then Absolutely. we'll come back okay. and we'll hear more poems sure. from Mari Nostrom yeah. today on Living Writers. Khaled Matawa is here. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. Today on the program, Khaled Matawa is here in the studio. Um, I'm T. Hetzel, and we've got Gina Brandolino behind the glass engineering. And we're talking about Mari Nostrom, number 16 in the Quarter Note Chapbook series out with Sarah Band Books. Um, an epic, an epic series, Sarah Band. We were talking before yeah. we came on the air. Yeah. <laughs> where we, it's it's uh, it's great that this is like it's an the 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 latest um, edition mm-hmm. of the series is wonderful too. Yeah, so you're adding to, to be it. Part of it, there are so many authors that I that I uh, admire who've been in it. So I'm glad to be part of it, to yeah. be invited to to be part of it. So it's a great great thing for me. Well, mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. so the cover art. It sounds like when you were. Mm-hmm. Um, working with Sarah Band Books, mm-hmm. you had a lot of input on the look of what the chapbook would would look like too. Yeah. Um, what? How did you choose the cover art? How did you? Well, I mean, I think uh, the choices were either a photo that sort of captured the experience. There's the image that really sort of haunted me. Uh, part of is when people are rescued, they're they're given these thermal blankets that are like they're like gold. They're like gold foil, and I mentioned that image. So I wanted to have um, maybe a photo. That, that was what there was like maybe a photo like that. Uh, 
but then I, I thought like maybe there is actually art by some some of the people who survived the crossing, uh, and I began to look. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Google forager, uh, so um, I found this um, publisher in Italy, uh, uh, El Cerl, uh and uh, they published chapbooks, so like like small art chapbooks of work by migrants. And uh, there is the, the, the cover that I chose is a series of drawings by a Tunisian uh, migrant who lives in Rome now. His name is Slim Fajari. And uh, it's, it, you know, we contacted them and they said absolutely. But that was the, it's, it's, it was even better than the photo to actually find work by, by, by somebody who'd, uh, you know, you know, survived and is, you know, recalling and depicting the experience. Because that's yeah. the voice. The art is yeah, itself yeah, the voice yeah. instead of yeah. um, someone recording or documenting like an outside photographer. Perhaps yeah, I think take that, that actually speaks to that the idea that this is not um, documentation per se, that there is an art. Uh, an emphasis on the artistic practice and the tra artistic transformation of experience uh, is is what I've tried to do here. I mean, I, maybe I've said this before, but too often we uh, we we when we want to give the authenticity of the migrants, we want to give them authenticity of the migrants. We try to uh, make them less eloquent. Uh, graph and so on, and so uh, and that's how we associate migrants and migrant speech is this sort of ineloquent speech. For me, I wanted to um, think about migrant speech as uh, as artistic, as structured, and as uh, you know, uh, lyrically uh, competing, if you will, with any. Any uh, uh, bona fide, uh, if you will, legitimate speech, uh, any, anyone that's there. So that's my approach to, to this process. Well, mm. let's hear a poem, another mm. poem, so we can hear yeah. this at work. So this is, uh, I, I, and to, 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 I mean, we've talked about, it's interesting, you played Baba Mal, the great Senegalese singer. We were just talking about Senegal, that the migration was also coming from Ethiopia. People from Ethiopia also ended up in 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 the southern part of Libya, and they're trying to make it to Tripoli and uh, or the the western shores of Libya, and from there to uh, to Italy. Uh, and uh, so I went to Addis Ababa at some point in 2017, and I knew that there were people coming. So I wanted to, to see maybe some of the landscapes or the conditions where people had. Uh, had come from. So this is um, uh, a poem that tells the, the story of one individual, if you will. Season of migration to the north, northwest. Spent years gathering eucalyptus leaves from King Menelik's forests. Their fire makes the best in Jira, I'm told. You climb, wheezing, choking on Addis air. Then you find yourself in these scented woods. Backbreaking, but I love bundling the leaves, how the rain soaks the scent into your clothes and skin. Maybe that's why Menelik built his palace here, a great church looming over it to show he was content. 
but even he was tempted away. His queen sent a messenger from the foot of Itonto, saying she's found a new Addis, flower, Ababa, and he followed her like Adam out of paradise to co-found the metropolis nightmare. Was my dream worth more than enough air to live on, something between banal sin and the Creator's potency, Addis to the source of the Nile, then Khartoum to Sinai to be an asylee in Tel Aviv, or northwest through Darfur and Sebha to the Bride of the Med, names like shabby trees on a map, lines for a screen where bodies are stick figures dancing to tepid applause, each a degree in a circle inside a void, unmarked time, days like scented leaves that slip through your hands. Thank you, Colin. You're welcome. So this poem, mm -hmm. it's an early poem yeah. now, the second poem, I yeah. think, in the, 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 the book. Mm -hmm. um, after the title, po uh, the lead poem, Psalm of Departure, mm -hmm. this is narrative. It's giving us sort of a, the, the scope or the landscape of yeah. what this chapbook or this journey. In some ways, yeah. Yeah, it tells you some of the starts. There used to be a route from Ethiopia and Eritrea up uh, Sudan and Egypt to through Sinai and Israel. Some of these folks are uh, there, still there. Some of them end up being, uh, you know, kidnapped by by... Uh, by people who are, you know, there you, you can't tell if they're just kidnappers or if they're traffickers. There's something in between. When people are vulnerable, oh, they're yeah. so absolutely they're preying upon. And this upon. is happening to people now in Guatemala and in Mexico. And you know, at some point, you don't know who to reach out for. You seek somebody's help, and they end up being uh, the traffickers. They say, "Okay, you come and stay in this house, and and we'll help you." But it ends up being a uh, and uh, you know, an extortion, an act. You know, we will get you through the next step. Will you? But you have to keep my money and pay, paying, paying. It's a, it's a, it's a dangerous, painful experience because at each step, the closer you get, the the higher the payment becomes. So it's a, it's not. Uh, uh, it's 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 uh, and some people they you know they they make part of the journey, and they stop. They try to make a living, try mm -hmm. to next stop, and so. But uh, so at some point, uh, come stay here, and then they'll start calling your family and asking for money. And you know, especially if you have if you have a cell phone, if you're a cell phone, you have a cell phone, and if you end up caught somewhere in between and they find a number of a relative of yours that's in Switzerland or Sweden or America you're in trouble because this relative is going to have to pay 1,000, 2,000 and then more and more and more until they release you to the next uh, trafficker uh, it's a it's a horrible situation. And just to clarify, Khaled, mm -hmm. are you saying that this is the situation mm -hmm. here with in in Mexico and Guatemala with with um, people who are trying to come to the U.S.? That's here. what I mean. I, it, well. It's not surprising, but that's what I actually heard in one of the NPR stories: is that some people. They, they, this is why the caravan started. Right. Is that they go in big numbers? They Broken. try to stay stick together yeah. until they get to the border. If they don't. 
then these traffickers are not really so much traffickers as they're kidnappers. kidnappers. Yeah. And then, oh, so, okay, so sometimes maybe they'll help you. Maybe they'll help you run around the police or whatever or get there. But often enough, you are paying so much money and this money, amount of money increases as you stay with them in order to go to the next step. Sometimes people are released by one trafficker and the next day are are kidnapped by another one and the process starts again and again and again. People are experiencing a hell of a lot to, to try to, you know, make their way to a decent uh, uh, condition of life. So, um, uh, you know, the, it, it amazes me that that, that that part of the story is not clear. Right. What saddens me too is, to a large extent, is that the trouble for a lot of people who are coming to... Um, to uh, to to cross the Mediterranean, uh, the hardest parts for them is when they get into Libya, because you can travel as a Senegalese, you can tra- on your own, you can travel uh, or whatever uh, to fa- fairly freely throughout the Sahel, if you you know from Senegal all the way to to Niger uh, or to Chad, but then it's the swerve north, that's when you have to wait and that's when the trafficking begins and that's when the kidnapping begins and that's when uh, you know the the lawlessness of uh, Libya becomes uh, uh, you know uh, your everyday, uh, everyday. And, and the networks are huge like who's really running this stuff there are you know prostitution rings from Nigeria that send young teenage girls all the way to Italy there are uh, there's a maid you know, like a you know house servant circle uh, that's sort of uh, you know uh, you know part, part of the human trafficking process. Uh, it, it's it's an invisible but a very deep and entrenched uh, network, and people are falling into it because they don't have. Uh, better options any options no they don't have better options yeah we'll take a short break and then we'll come back today on living writers Khaled Matawa is here Mm -hmm. Mari Nostrum the book on the table with us I'm T Hetzel and we'll be back
back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Khaled Matawa is here. The book, Mari Nostrum, quarter note chapbook series, number 16, out with Sarah Band Books. Um, thanks again for picking the music for Thank today's you. show. Sure, this is Alif Bokum from uh, Mali. Uh, so from just the part of the world that we've been talking about. Mm. Meant to be. Per- mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we mentioned earlier part of the the mission of Mari Nostrum, your mission for the book, mm-hmm. was to, to give um, mm-hmm. the, the lyric yeah. the chance to be the witness to perhaps even... Um, provoke like to be a call of action mm-hmm. it, like for the reader in yeah. some ways um and in part of it you you use the tercets you also use forms you're mm-hmm. playing with form you have um psalm of departure mm-hmm. um you have um many psalms actually mm-hmm. then you say song mm-hmm. like constant song yeah. um there's the blues um more psalms and then there's also odes mm-hmm. and a journal yeah um so what, why was, were those sort of part of the vehicle that yeah. was the art here to tell the stories and the voice, let the voices be heard? The, the psalm for me was, uh, in a way, sort of a prayer. And um, the idea when I have with, with prayer is, uh, I have for, for prayer, is that it's, it's really the, 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 the position of speaking when you, have no one to speak to. That's what, okay, Psalms are addressed to God, but also they're addressed to the absence of God, to the inaction of God. Uh, that's why there are so many Psalms, because God doesn't seem to answer. So in some ways, the Psalms are... Are you know people in 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 dire straits who are who are uh, you know launching these these prayers? Some of them are not prayers so much, but they they have this. They come from that point of of difficulty of uh, of need. So they're sort of, sort of their meditation on 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 difficulty, and I place them. The psalms, they, there's uh, some psalm for departure. There's some uh, crossing uh, this or that place, the Balkan route. I mean, I, in in this narrative, even though the Mari Nostrum is is the, the origin is with the Italian Navy, but I also try to take us not just from the crossing from the southern to the to the northern southern it, from from northern Libya to southern Italy, but I also take us to, to Turkey and Afghanistan and Greece because these are people are coming to, to, to Greece, um, trying to, to uh, hit uh, you know, Eastern Europe and then maybe to Germany. So I try to tell all of that story. And uh, but even those folks, even the, the journey from the Turkish shores to, uh, to, um, to Greece, to the Greek islands, is not without danger because some of these people have drowned as well. So, so that's it. so. This is why a poem like "Into the Sea" seems to uh, maybe apply to both. And I'll read it for you. Into the sea, barely out of the jetty, the boat rises with every wave, and in the back, two or three fall into the sea. At sunset, the boat starts to lose air, fills with water, mothers and babies fall into the sea. One side stays afloat. We cling to a rope, water up to our belly, and people fall into the sea. All night we grip and bleed. 
Rain so cold, waves five stories high. If only I could fall into the sea. Sunrise, a helicopter. I find a red shirt. Wave it to them. They watch us fall into the sea. They fling a small inflatable boat. I am too weak to reach it. Others try and fall into the sea. A cargo boat throws a rope. Get us on board, alive at last, and we still fall into the sea. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, you this is based on several accounts, yeah, several accounts of of, uh, of people who've uh, survived. And you know, what happens is the boats begin to sink. Um, sometimes people on the boats will have a cell phone. They'll be calling the Italian Navy or whomever they can call uh, to rescue them. And it's, uh, uh, you know, people just slowly, the, the, the boat, they cling to this, they cling to that. The boats are terribly flimsy. And uh, sometimes some survive, but many times they don't. Sometimes the boats are caught a few miles after they've taken off from, from Libyan shores. Uh, earlier on, the, the, the boats went on uh, for a longer time. But, you know, they're, they're seen, a boat gets to them, a boat doesn't get to them. Uh, there are incidents when people are, they're talking to, to, to a rescue uh, service uh, and the rescue never, never comes. So um, this happens at night, this happens during the day. Um, so this is an account, again, it's an, sort of an amalgamation of, of several stories. And again, you know, uh, it sounds like a guzzle in a way it is, but it's not in, in couplets. And, uh, you know, these are stories that could be, could have fallen into the documentary speech. But I wanted to make sure that, that there is a, there's art in the telling. And so where the, the music of this ending is, is competing the with the facts. And I think the music adds to the impact rather than not. It's not like when you, when you add art to, to the rawness of life, sometimes we think it's, you know, this is where the word artificial comes from. Right. But, um, but I don't think so. At least my effort in here was, uh, was to, uh, to sort of have this idea of that these people are falling into the sea and to have this, this notion really uh, be apprehended by whoever reads it. So the music is not... Uh, just a device. It's a it's an an emphatic uh, de device and a device of emphasis, if you will. And that and again, sort of what mm. we were talking about at, uh, about at the beginning, Khaled, yeah, yeah, yeah. to create that experience mm. for the the reader with the into the sea. There's something that's mm. changed by having the music of that mm -hmm. repetition yeah. and how it's used differently like it's the meaning of it is changing yeah, yeah, yeah. in each of its roles well and many of its roles the repetition is uh, comes also due to the fact that this thing continues to happen I mean, yes. it's like you know the first incidents were that made a big uh, and people knew about a lot and made it to the news of 2012, 2012 and now it's you know six seven years later and you know the the stories are people are still sinking and the rescues are they're heroic people trying to do the rescue. There was one German lady, a young lady who's a captain of a ship who 
rescued migrants and brought them into sort of forced them down onto the Italian government and she was arrested and so on and there are many heroic endeavors which I acknowledge in one of the poems uh, Psalm to the Volunteer is one of the poems to, dedicated to those who are involved in the rescue process as well and and we mm. should mention mm. um, before we go yeah. that this is a, this is a larger project Saraban yes. Books have, has published this chapbook yes. and it's its own mm-hmm. um it's its own art its own cre- yeah. creation in the world mari nostrum yeah. but you have another book that will yeah. be coming out with yeah. with more poems w- with yes. this theme that yes we- with with other themes the 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 book that uh, uh finishing up is will be coming out from gray wolf press in november and it has I, you know, I, I take on this hard subject. It makes my poetry uh, sort of a hard reading experience. But um, but it, you know, the, the the migrant poems. There will be more of them, and they will be like the center of the book. But uh, the other issues around it are are you know uh, whether it's my personal life, whether the political, the politics that has surrounded me the, over the recent years, or the the changes that I see in the world and my travels. I mean, I, in in a, over the past few years, I've traveled to Kenya, to uh, to Madagascar, to Ethiopia, to Egypt, and other places. So it, you know, all of these are coming into the to the story of the big book but this one I'm very glad that there's a smaller version of the more compact version in this chapbook that can just hopefully uh, you know uh, stand you know sort of stands on its own well enough but also when the book comes we will realize that it's a part of a bigger bigger picture Thank you, Khaled. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I look mm. forward to talking to you later in yeah. the year when you come back and we mm. we have for the for the Michigan Quarterly Review yes. um issue. Yeah. Well Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be great. So we'll we'll talk okay. more. Thanks Thank for you being so much. the Thank first you for inviting the, me. The yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um thanks to everyone out there for listening today. And many, many thanks to Gina Brandolino for engineering. Um Thanks, big thanks to Amanda Yuli and Frank Yuli for Summer Living Writers. And thanks also um, to Frank Yuli for post-production on the show. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm T. Hetzel. Now in Vienna, there's ten pretty women. There's a shoulder where death comes to cry. There's a lobby with 900 windows There's a tree where the doves go to die There's a piece that was torn from the morning And it hangs in the gallery of frost I, 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 I Take this waltz, take this waltz Take this waltz with the clamp on its jaws Oh, I want you, I want you, I want you On a chair with a dead magazine In the cave at the tip of the lily In some hallway where love's never been On our bed where the moon has
has been sweating In a cry filled with footsteps and sand Take this waltz, take this waltz, take its broken waste in your hand. This waltz, this waltz, this waltz, this waltz, with its very own breath. Hey, this is George Cables. I'm in an arbor, in an oasis, because I'm listening to WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, 88.3, on your FM dial. Yeah! Fasten your seatbelts, everyone. It's time for the Drive Time Polka Party. Grogies, hoagies, pretzel carts, cheesesteak, clam bakes, polka bars, Camden Yards, and Fenway Park. That's what I like about the North. Diners, delicatessen, stuffing it, stuffing it ain't dressing. Catholic churches for confessing, that's what I like about the North. Football in two feet of snow, and Lambeau Field in ten below. If folks don't like you, you will know, that's what I like about the North. Harlem Jazz, Chicago Blues, Motown, Soul and Jersey Bruce, Prince and the Revolution, now that's what I like about the North. Drive. 